0: Okay, if you would take your Bible this afternoon, turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to begin by reading the first six verses. It says, what shall we say then? This is an answer to a question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid was the answer. Excuse me. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But anyway, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead that sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So the title of the message this afternoon is Buried with Him. Buried with Him in Baptism. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your mercies. Thank you for your privilege and opportunity we have to be assembled together today and fellowship one with another around the dinner table and to enjoy uh your um goodness of your goodness to us. Thank you for your word and and how we've uh, been fed spiritually and we pray that we look into the word of God this afternoon that you'd keep us alert and awake and uh, help us to understand the significance of water baptism and, uh, and the importance of it uh, for your glory and for your honor and we pray in Jesus name. Amen. You're know, the modern or contemporary or typical Christian quote-unquote, of today, believes, as taught by many, that we are saved by grace, and how we live really doesn't matter. As long as the heart's right. The problem is, the heart is the heart of the matter. The doctrine of practical holiness in life is outdated and archaic. Along with that idea is that salvation is all gain. That's really what easy believism teaches, that it's all gain. There's no giving up. It's all positive. There's nothing that I have to give up. After all, it is a gift of God. Now, it is a gift of God. However, that thinking does not consider the holiness of God and that that God gives eternal life, which came at a great cost, the death of the Son of God. And eternal life that God offers is given to those who are willing to give up their own life. Jesus said... He that saves his life shall what? Lose it. He that loses his own life shall save it. Um, eternal life, you know, you know, we have to be willing to... That's, this is really what repentance is. Willing to give up our own life, our own ambitions, our own will. There's a surrender involved. And this is clearly explained, I believe, for us here in Romans 6 by the ordinance of baptism and what it represents. However, this passage is robbed of its power by many that say it pictures spirit baptism. Now, I know firsthand of people that say that. There's a, a leading fundamentalist church. It has been for many years. Um, their pastor wrote, uh, well, their, his father wrote a book about neo Evangelicalism clear back in the uh, 50s, and then he wrote, the pastor wrote another book uh, called, um, I think it's called the New Neutralism. John Ashbrook was a the pastor there for many years at this church, Bible Community Church in Menor, Ohio. And anyway, uh, in, and this is typical of that kind of church. And in their doctrinal statement that under Section 9, titled The Unity of the True Church and the Body of Christ, it says this, quote, We believe that the church is composed of all who are united to the crucified, risen, and ascended Son of God by the Holy Spirit. By the same spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, thus being members one another, and knit together in love. And then it has some scripture references to um, support that those thoughts, and Romans 6, 3 to 5 is one of those. So they're saying that Romans 6 is referring to spirit baptism. And, of course, when they say spirit baptism, what they mean by that is When a person gets saved, they are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, which they mean to be the universal church, or all saved people all over the world. That's the the teaching. Uh, Of course, they use 1 Corinthians 12, 12 12-27 also. And, you know, uh, by declaring these verses figurative. Or of spirit baptism. By the way, there is spirit baptism spoken of in the Bible, but really it's just the spirit overwhelmed or took control of. It was a sign gift, temporary. It's not, it's not happening today. Um, and, and so, uh, um, anyway, uh, declaring these verses of spirit, spirit baptism, I believe, destroys the power and real meaning and significance of baptism. Uh, Years ago, I was asked by a church to give a brief challenge concerning baptism, and I was going to baptize someone there, which I did from Romans chapter 6, saying that that water baptism pictures death and resurrection. And after I gave the challenge, the pastor corrected me by saying that this passage really is referring to spirit baptism. Um, I did not agree then, and I do not agree now. Anyway, but no, I believe this is referring to water baptism, and it really what it pictures is death and resurrection. Now, the thing that's commonly said of baptism—it just identif- you're just identifying with Christ. Well, to identify means to associate with, but doesn't carry the the gravity of the idea of death. And it says that we're baptized into his death, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. You know, Matthew 3.15, when Jesus came to John the Baptist to be baptized, and, of course, John the Baptist said, you know, I should be baptized to thee, and Jesus said, suffer to be so, for to fulfill all righteousness. Which means he came to fill all the law of the prophets, which spoke of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so he was saying, What he was saying was, my baptism is showing to the world what I will do. I will die and be resurrected. He would fulfill, again, fulfilling the law and the prophets. So the Lord gives us here in this passage, really in the, in the passage, there's three, three ye's. Uh, there's no ye, there, uh, no ye, verse 3, reckon ye, verse 11, and yield ye, verse 13. So as we consider the, this, this, this thought of buried with him in baptism, first of all, know ye, you know, he, he says, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, the Bible says, and we've read this a little earlier, Moreover, and I would not use you be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And it's interesting to me that the word baptized is used here. But you think about that happening, they were all covered by the sea. They could you know, if you, if you were standing on the sh- shore, you would not have seen them again until they arrived on the shore. But this is also more than that. This was the, really, the final separation of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. It signified that cutting off. Death to Egypt. No more to go back to Egypt. No going back from here. And this really pictures what baptism means for a child of God. It's more than just identifying. When you Identifying means to associate oneself in name and interest. But it's a separation unto him. It's a dying with him and a dying to self. And resurrecting to new or different life. That word new means different. It speaks of something different. Different life. And, of course, that is the life of God. So, know ye... There's three metaphors that are used here to picture the purpose and symbolism of baptism verses 4 through 6. First of all, in verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death. So we're buried with him. You know, Christ died to pay for the sin of the old man, nature, and his deeds. And, the, and, and somebody said the clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo is a text from a Greek poet and physician, Nicander, who lived about 200 B.C., It's a recipe for making pickles, and it's helpful because it uses both words. There's really two words that can describe baptism. Only one of them is used in the Bible. Nicander says, in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should be first dipped into boiling water, and then baptized. Now, the word dipped, he uses here in this context, is bapto, and then baptized is the word baptizo, which is used in the scriptures. And so, it's to be dipped and then baptize in the vinegar solution. Both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution, but the first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing the vegetable, produces a permanent change. It produces a permanent change. And that's the significant difference with... This word used here, it says we are buried with him in baptism. See, see, baptism signifies a permanent change. We buried the old man. I buried myself. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.2, 2, I am crucified with Christ. If you, you know, again, define that statement, therefore he's a dead man. Nevertheless, I live. So he is a living man. He says, first I'm a dead man. Now he says I'm a living man. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. There's the permanent change. It's no longer I that's living and ruling in this body. And so, so that's significant. We're buried. When you, when you bury something, it, 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 it brings about a change, a permanent change. A permanent change. And so we're buried with him. The second word that's the metaphor that's used to describe baptism is found in verse 5, where it says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So planted together. Uh, you plant or you bury seed. When you plant something, you bury it, expecting it to spring forth with new life. In other words, it's not going to come forth looking like the seed. Now it's going to produce fruit. Like under the seat, and so when we bury ourselves and we resurrect to new life or different life, we are bear something that looks like the life we have been given, and the life we have been given is of Christ. First Corinthians fifteen forty four says that the son of natural body it is raised to spiritual body, speaking about the resurrection. You know that's going to be the culmination of our redemption that's what that's the part of our redemption of our salvation that that i that i you and i don't have yet we don't have yet that that new glorified body but it is coming it's just a matter of time that we are going to get that new body and and so that'll be the combination of it so but but we are we are to bury the old man and resurrect a new life uh so, when you plant a seed in the ground, it dies to give for new life, and we have been we are planted together it says we are planted together in the likeness of his death. we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection so so if we are if we have repented of our sin, and I believe this is really that baptism is a picture, if you will, of repentance, true repentance, because repentance is that I really i i change my mind and I surrender my will. I give up my own will and I surrender my will to God. I, I was, you know, the first I ever heard something like that I was talking with Mike Custer, and he said, he said he said you know repentance really is a surrender of the will. Um, and, and so there's a surrender, and and baptism pictures that surrender where you bury your own old your 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 life, burying you you agreed to. Uh, you 're symbolizing that you have buried buried your life uh, your own self with Christ, so we are planned together with christ and and he says then we 're raised together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection you know planted together with christ and you know it doesn 't really teach this in this passage, but you know we are we are to be baptism also teaches us that we're to be uh, that places us in the body of Christ. Look at second first uh, Corinthians chapter 12 and first Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. First Corinthians 12 verse 12. It's, the Bible here is talking about spiritual gifts, the using in the church and how the spirit of God uh, leads people and provides and gives grants gifts to different ones for different purposes in the body. And in verse 12 it says, for as the body is one and hath many members. So we're talking about uh, a church that has many different members that make up the body of Christ. Just like your body has, your, your physical body has many parts to it, many members. It has hands, feet, eyes, nose, tongue, uh, uh, head, brain. You know, It has all these different parts that make it function uh, as a body, but it's only one body. But it's got many parts. And that's the way the church is. That's, that's a, this is a metaphor or how he describes the church. So, for as a body is one, hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So the, the Spirit of God leads us. For by one Spirit, or because of the Spirit, we're baptized, we'll we're, we're let the Spirit to be baptized into a body of Christ. He says, whether we be Jews or Gentiles. Now, you know, understanding New Testament times and the Jew and the Gentile problem, which the Jews had real struggles with, even Peter, they didn't want to accept the Gentiles. But in the church... He said, they're one. There's no distinction in the church between a Jew and a Gentile. And the Spirit of God leads a Jew or a Gentile to be baptized into the same church, into the same body. And so, so this is talking about a church. Of course, the body of Christ is a church. And And then he says in verse 18, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him, and of course, in verse 27 it says, Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. So 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 again, you know, we we're planned together with Christ. Christ dwells in his church. That's where his presence dwells, in the midst of his churches. And so we are to we're planned together with him. We, it, it, it speaks of a surrender where we're willing to give up our own will, our own desires, we're willing to bury our own ambitions and And resurrect to do that which pleases God. Uh, And we're willing to be planted where God plants us. Where God plants us. Planted together. The third thing we see here is crucified with him. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. So... So when a person is baptized, the message they are giving to the world is this. I am dying to self. I am crucifying Drew Hoyt. I am crucifying Linda Smith. I am crucifying Dave Welch. I am dying to self. You know, this was easily understood in the early church and still in some parts of the world because it pictures a cutting off of the old life with its passions and false religions. You know, the Jews that were baptized understood this very clearly. You know, there was great persecution against the Jews who were baptized and the apostles for preaching the resurrection of Christ, which symbolizes is symbolized through baptism um, which which establishes Jesus Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. The resurrection is all fundamental in, in the establishment of the fact that Jesus is the Christ. you know without resurrection, he's just a man, he's just a man that's all he is. but because of the resurrection, it proves that he is the Son of God with power, Romans chapter one verse four so so when they were baptized. They understood that there was a cutting off. They were severed. Um, it meant, you know, Peter said to those in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. It, it was a renouncing of Judaism. It was a renouncing or cutting off of temple worship. It, it, you know, and this was the, great, the reason for the great need. It, it, it cut off families. This was the reason the great need and Barnabas selling land and giving it to the church to provide for those who, who were in need. Uh, they were willing to be crucified. In the Roman world, it meant the possibility you might go to the lions. You know, the Romans. One, of the, the Romans had many, many gods that they worshipped. There were three in particular: Jupiter, Juno, which was supposed to be, I think, Jupiter's wife. I can't remember what the third one was, but they're they're all false gods. And then, of course, there was emperor worship. Came into being during the The Caesars and the Roman emperors, and they they would they would require they'd come around with with uh, some kind of altar thing and asked you to offer a pinch of incense on an altar. And if you refused, well then you could be persecuted or arrested, or, or or you were accused of being an insurrectionist against the emperor. And so these were the things that were that were happening. In the world during Bible times, and and when people were baptized, they 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 were they were again. This is they're bearing their own life, and they were uh, cutting off themselves from this all this false worship. It, it pictures crucified with Christ. Again, it speaks of death. Okay, there's there's the word know ye, and there's three know ye's. Baptism also pictures know ye this newness. Of life. It pictures newness of life. Um, verse 4, again. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism of death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, again, it pictures burial, but when we resurrect to new life in Christ, we do still have an old nature, and so it says we should walk in newness of life. We should. Newness of state, it means newness of state and condition. It is different than the old life. And and, the Lord gives meaning and purpose and direction for life. We are not without a guide or standard. We have a dogmatic standard. The word of God. You know, the problem we have with the world is, in our country, the reason crime is increasing and increasing and increasing is because we left the standard. Um, You know, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, people still believed that Ten Commandments were, were a standard that was right to follow. And they also believed that the commandment to... Of capital punishment, which was commanded, was a right standard to follow. Those were biblical standards that were set forth in the Bible. Um, you know, but now we have left, because we've left a standard in the Bible, man has decided what standard is right or what standard is wrong, and therefore. We don't have an objective standard. We have a subjective standard because what this person feels may be right is not what this person over here feels be right. And they're all just human resources. They're all subject to people's feelings. Where years ago we had the same standard. Even the world had some of the same standards and understood that God made the world you know, it used to be, of course, you know, uh, God used to be taught in public school. And so, so, so the world, you know, they have no standard or consistency because they were, are without God, the source of truth and law. So, but we have this standard and this picture's new life, baptism picture's new life or a new state of condition. And we're to be, we ha- we are not without a guide or a standard. Speaks of a different life. Psalm 40 says, uh, you know, he brought us up out of a horrible pit and put a new song in my mouth. So it's different than the old song. It's a new song. It's a song that pleases the Lord. So it pictures newness of life. Something different. It pictures resurrection likeness. Verse 5. For if they have been blended together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, resurrection speaks of power. Uh, In Acts four thirteen, you have a man standing for his enemies, those who persecuted him, and and says uh, that you know. uh, I'm not sure what that's what that says. It let me let me let me turn to it. Acts four thirteen. It says, "Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is what he said." Verse twelve neither is there salvation any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So here you have this man, who, who before was afraid, embarrassed, embarrassed to be accused of being one of Jesus' disciples, and here he is, as bold as Jesus was. Think about it. He's now as bold as Jesus was. In other words, he is like Jesus in this respect. He didn't say anymore, okay, I won't say anything, or, you know, I don't want to be associated with. No, he said, there's no salvation in any other but him. Of course, he told him, in Acts chapter 2, remember he told him, you know, this is he whom you slew and hanged on a tree. And this is the one that God hath made, both Lord and Christ, whom you crucified. You know, Jesus wasn't afraid to talk to the Pharisees that way. He said, in fact, he said to them, Which of you convinceth me of sin? He said, He said to them, I and my father are one. That was a... He knew that would be a reason for an unbelieving Jew to pick up stones and stone him. He knew that. He knows all things. But he was not afraid. Of course, he was God. But what we see here in the Acts of Peter and the Apostles is... Christ's likeness or Christ's resurrection likeness, a newness of life where they're no longer afraid they, they, are, they have power to, to stand before their enemies and declare the truth you know I think the Pharisees were thinking at this point you know oh boy I thought we got rid of that guy and the problem with him but all of a sudden here are these guys are who are just like him they're just like him They're saying the same things that he said. And you know what? They lived the life that he taught. So there's a resurrection likeness. They preached the same thing. They demonstrated the same love for sinners. And they were not afraid to declare the truth. Even if there was a possibility of rejection. The third word that's used here, that he says, think get back to my passage. Know ye, is in verse 6, um, in the wrong passage, Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now the word destroyed here means to render idle. Unemployed, inactive, inoperative. Basically, it's like saying, I put the old man out of work. I'm declaring the old man out of work. So, so when a person comes to the, to the church and says, I would like to be baptized, really what that means is, I'm telling you, I want to put this old man out of work. I want to put him out of control of my life. I don't want him running my life anymore. I don't want me running my life anymore. I want Christ to run my life. To direct my life. Paul and first Corinthians nine twenty seven says, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others I myself should be cast away. So again he was what he was saying to us, look, I try daily in first Corinthians ten he says, I die daily. So I try, I I work daily to to render the old man inactive, out of work, unemployed, no longer to lead or control me. Now, the second word he uses here is reckon in this passage. And again, this is all pictured in baptism. We're to reckon ye. Verse 11 says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. So so, so we're to reckon. That's That's an accounting term to account or to compute. The first part, know ye, is information. This is calculation. So, the process is now to become, you know, the knowledge process has become the basis of decisive action. So, just like an accountant, you know, we'll take account of the figures from which an accountant gets his balance. And by that balance, he determines the exact status of his accounts. And for those accounts, the condition of his business. So, when we look at Christian figures in his account, in our account, the things said about our union with Christ, we are to consider ourselves dead... To sin, dead to the world, and the world should not be considered in determining the will of God for our life. And really, that's what we're saying. When we get baptized, we're dead to relationships. That's what Jesus meant in Luke fourteen, when He said, "If any man come to Me and hate not his father and his mother and his and his wife and his and his children and his own life also, he cannot be My disciple." You know, dead people have no will of their own. And one of the things you see here in this passage is, over and over again, buried in death and buried in death and buried in death and crucified. It's all death. Boy, that's discouraging, isn't it? It's all negative. Hold on. Because it can have a very positive effect. But dead people have no will of their own. And through baptism, we are declaring that we are dead. In verses 7 and 8, he says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. So it's not all death. It's death itself, but life with God. You know, dead people don't sin. So we are to reckon, that is, account ourselves dead, and reckon it or act as if it's a fact with God. Somebody said this, quote, Reckoning is not acting if it were so, it is acting because it is so. It is not pretending. Many people act like they have never sinned. That's false optimism. We're not not to act as if we are dead to sin and self. Because, but because it is so, and to act on the facts. So we are lived knowing that sin has no more dominion over us. We don't have to sin. We're no longer bound by sin. We are free to live to please God. But you know what we need to do? We need to reckon this old man dead. That means we do not give heed. To him or her. But, so we are we're to reckon ourselves dead. We are also to reckon ourselves alive unto God. Now here's the positive part. Verse 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, dead to sin is only half. That's the negative. That removes the penalty, which has been removed through, through Christ our Lord. But we're alive unto God, which gives us power. Your know, power and strength always lies in the realm of life. Your know, flowers, I'm not a, you know, I have a garden, but I don't grow flowers. But they say flowers open toward the sun, but only one flower follows the sun all the time. That's a sunflower. You know, we need to be like the sunflower. We're supposed to be like the sunflower. We're to follow the sun wherever he leads. Where he leads me, I will follow. That ought to be our motto. You see, we're to be alive unto God. John 1, four said, "...in him was life, and the life was the light of man." John 1, 9, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Colossians 1, 3, 1 through 4, if ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not in things here. For ye are dead, so you reckon your old man dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. See, he is our life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, Paul would say. So, we're to live by the faith of the Son of God. It's to be His life lived through us. Which means we allow Him to direct us. Direct our thoughts, our actions. Now again... If you think you you will never sin, that is a false optimism. That's not reality. But this is the practice that we need to continually work at. Continually working to reckon that old man dead. And baptism pictures that old man dead. What we're saying to when we are baptized, we are buried with him. We're saying, I'm burying me, and I'm going to resurrect to walk in newness of life. I'm crucifying me. Someone asked Jordan Mueller the secret of his distinguished service to Christ. And this is what he said. There was a day when I died. Utterly died. Died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, taste, and will. Died to the world. Its approval and censure. Died to the approval or blame of even my brethren and friends. and since then, I have studied to show myself approved unto God. Unquote. When you are dead to sin and alive unto God, what others do does not move you. Your know, people change. When temptations come, you say, I'm dead. Injury, dead. Insult, dead. Dead men do not exhibit. Bad tempers are not vindicative, do not respond to the desires of evil solicitor. Dead men have no will of their own. Because our penalty for sin is removed in the death of Christ, we are empowered by his resurrection to live unto God, And our motivation should be studying to show ourselves approved unto God. Too often we are worried about what the world thinks. Do you know that's why some of the children of Israel didn't want to go into the promised land? They were worried about what they saw. And the hardships they thought they were going to face. You know, sometimes we're, we face hardships, but we must do study to show ourselves proved unto God and not allow the hardships to deter us from doing what is right. You know, too often we, we read and study the Bible and then go out wondering if the world will like us. Well, we've already been told the world hates us. Jesus said in John 15, 19, If you are of the world, the world will love his own. But because you are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. The world hates the doctrine of repentance. They hate it. Because it shows them that they are guilty. Guilty before God. And they need to change their mind. And therefore, many people have quit preaching repentance because it, it gets in the way of many professions and what you end up with is a bunch of false ones and many people that are vaccinated against true salvation so jesus said the world hates you you know, it reveals, repentance reveals who they are. They're condemned by a holy girl, a God. You know, it's a great obstacle. Um, you know, the world is never satisfied if you cave a little. You can say, well, we just, just cave a little. The world's never satisfied with that. By the way, once you start caving, they'll come after you like your vengeance because they want you to fully capitulate. You know, the LBGTQ crowd doesn't want, just want toleration. They want to be able to indoctrinate our children. It's not a matter of toleration. The, 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 uh, the uh, uh, anti-gun crowd just, doesn't just want our rifles. No, they want complete gun confiscation. That's the way the world works. So the world is never satisfied. Your businesses will push you to work the Lord's Day. And if you cave, you'll be be working the Lord's Day. See, when the world and the devil starts pushing at you, and you move a little bit to appease them, they will only push harder. No, we are to be dead to the world, but alive unto God. Dead to the world. And that's what baptism pictures. The third word that I want you to look at is yield ye. This is found three times also. In verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. The word yield means to present, or show, or exhibit. It's, it's the same word in uh, Romans 12, 1, where it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of the Lord, that you present. It's the same Greek word, which means to exo- show, or to exhibit. See, we are living exhibits... Of our Lord, and we are to be instruments of righteousness. Now, the word instrument instruments is an interesting word. It speaks of weapons, arms in warfare, arms in warfare. So we're to be, really he's saying we're to be were to be arms of warfare against unrighteousness. Weapons of warfare. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses four through seven says this. But in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience and affliction and necessities and distresses, and stripes and imprisonments, and tumults, and labors, and watchings and fastings, By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. When the Bible speaks of armor of righteousness, we're talking about acts of right that dispel darkness. So every act or word of righteousness is really a wound to the enemy of souls. Acts of wrong advance the enemy. So picture, if you will, men and women of the world have built up defenses against the truth. They build up defenses against the truth. And when we, as instruments of righteousness, act or speak by doing what is right, we are disarming their offenses. Their defenses, I'm sorry. Their defenses. You know, it's natural to be concerned about what other things, but, but acts of obedience to, to truth can open up opportunities of witness to truth that may be a means of conversion Or of someone seeing the error of their way. Or they could get mad at you. But aren't you glad that somewhere along your way in your path of life, somebody challenged your thinking about your spiritual state? How did they do that? Because they were sharing with you something that they had. Something they were doing. And it challenged you. It challenged you. It caused you to examine yourself in the light of the word of God... And as a result, either brought you to salvation or brought you into a closer relationship with the Lord and a greater understanding of His of His Word, which gives more wisdom in witness to others, which results in more fruit abounding to your account. You see, when we yield to the Lord, we become members or instruments of righteousness. Instruments of righteousness unto God. And we can become, we, we, are, we are then, we are then the armor of God the slaying the power of God that dispels the darkness under which many people live. You know, Paul told the church at Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verses 1 through 3, he says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some others epistles of con- commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in, in our hearts, known and read of all men, Forasmuch as you manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And of course, you know, when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, Dr. you sounded out the word. You know, they were displaying the armor and power of God. They were instruments of warfare in the fight against spiritual wickedness by their obedience to... The Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what baptism represents. It, bap, baptism represents that we are dying to sell. We are burying self, We are yielding our lives to Christ. And therefore, when we come out of the water, what we're saying is, we're no longer living for me. I'm living and living to walk in newness of life. Christ-like life. Just as Christ... Did always those things that pleased his Father. We are to do always those things, or strive to do always those things, studying to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman, not need to be ashamed. Your baptism pictures a burial. It's more than just an identity. It's a burial. It declares the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, I cannot accept the five fundamentals as sufficient for fellowship of sound doctrine. Because baptism isn't one of them. Many people have lived, got baptized, and died because they declared to the world, I'm no longer living. The world's not dictating to me how I live. It's not my standard. Your false worship is not my standard. And they gave their lives. they willing to bury their own selves that means death and so baptism it means buried with him have you buried yourself it's really a choice one's choice to bury one's self Have you buried yourself?